Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons Podcast. I'm his son, Matthew, and we have been splitting up the sermons every other week at our house church that my wife and I host on our farm. If you're interested in joining us, check out wrightfarmhousechurch.com. Enjoy today's lesson. So uh, so today we're going to close out an 11-part series that, that we've been doing on 1 Corinthians 13. We've really been digging in, and we've been going phrase by phrase uh, in, in the chapter. Um, and so we're going to summarize these lessons, and then we'll read uh, the final section of the chapter, and, and then we'll have a, cl- a closing thought to go with it. So we started with a lesson that I titled, How Are Christians Known? Are we known by our... Our Christian t-shirts, or are we known by our fish bumper stickers, or are we known by our blessed, hashtag blessed t-shirts? I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, I told you, um, I told our group that about this book um, by Francis Schaeffer titled The Mark of a Christian. And in that book, he says that the mark of a Christian is love. Uh, and Jesus said that the fully formed, the fully formed follower of Christ is one who loves God and one who loves others. And we, we I, I said that we rescued this chapter, from, this famous chapter of Paul's from the wedding ceremony, where it is, famously, it is famously read many times. If you had to bet on something that would be read in a wedding ceremony, this would probably be it, a good bet. Um, but Paul did not have marriage in mind when he was writing this to the Corinth church. Uh, this church had a, uh, quite a variety of some really bad problems, and they were struggling uh, with, with these problems, and Paul was writing this to them, this chapter to them, to say, stop acting that way, because you're not showing the love of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. And then Paul goes on to express what love is, and he also goes on to express what love is not. And most importantly, love characterized by Christians is displayed in our actions, um, not in our emotions or our feelings or our words or our speech. Love always costs us something. To love in actions and in truth will always cost you something. There's always a sacrifice involved, and it might be time, and it might be money, it might be emotional investment into someone, it might be setting aside our agenda. Love always costs us something. And Paul begins his his concrete definition of love here with patience. And I think the reason that Paul starts defining love with patience is because a lot of what he goes on to say that love is and what love is not is, is based and it's founded on patience. So he says in verse 4, love is patient. And Paul expands upon this concept in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14. He tells the Thessalonians, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. He says, be patient with everyone. He also reminds us that, that while we are told love is patient, he reminds us, 
He reminds and points us to Jesus throughout this chapter by telling us that the Lord is patient with us. So he says in, in 1 Peter, uh, says in, in chapter 3, verse 9, Peter says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And then we went on in the lesson to learn that love is kind. And we define kindness as actively pursuing the good of another person. And we saw that the world, was, the world has no idea what biblical and true kindness is. The world defines niceness. It equates niceness as kindness. And yet we know as Christians that when Jesus took a whip into the temple and he flipped over the money changers' tables... That yes, in fact, he was being kind. And modern Christianity and the worldly, they don't want to hear that because they, they don't equate kindness with biblical love. And often it's easy to forget that God is love. So then we studied uh, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 where it says love does not envy. And we are reminded that the Corinth church was thriving and they were thriving with this envy. He tells the Corinthians in chapter 3 verse 3, you are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Paul continually reminds the congregations in each area to stay away from envy, because those who practice it, he says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But Paul goes on to say in Galatians, right after he says this, in verse 22, chapter 5, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, oops, sorry, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In our next lesson, Paul goes on to say that love is not proud. He stu we studied that love is not proud and that, that love serves. We see that once again, Paul is trying to point, he's trying to point the Christians in Corinth not to their own lives, but to a focus on Jesus throughout this chapter. Wherever love is, in, is stated in this chapter, you could just replace it with Jesus. Jesus is the perfect personification of love. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus was not proud. Jesus was always known as a servant. Jesus says in Luke chapter 22, verse 27, he said, But I am among you as one who, as the one who serves. Proud people aren't servants. Those who want to be loving try to imitate Jesus in the way that he served. So then Paul goes on to say in verse 5, that love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. And we looked at this lesson from the viewpoint and the culture in which Paul and Jesus and many biblical characters lived and all of the, all these biblical characters that, that, we, that we learn about as we read the Bible. And they lived in what, what is called an honor-shame culture. In, in the West, we live in a culture here in America, especially in a culture that's saturated with my self-interests and how things are going to affect me, how my decisions are going to affect me. But Paul and the Corinthians, uh, they did not live in this kind of culture. They lived in a culture that said, if I do the wrong thing, I'm not just dishonoring myself. I'm dishonoring those I care about, and it will affect them. Paul says in, in chapter 6 of, of 1 Corinthians, verse 19, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? 
who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. He says, honor God. Stop disgracing God with your actions. Stop dishonoring his name with your actions, his character with your actions. He says, honor God with your bodies. Love doesn't dishonor the name of others. Love doesn't cause disgrace to others. Love does not cause disgrace to the name of Jesus. Love does not dishonor by its actions the name of Jesus, right? Instead, love sets aside its own rights. Love sets aside its own interests. Love sets aside its own self-expression for the sake of others. And how do we know that? Because, because that's what Jesus did. Paul tells the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 6, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. We then went on in our next lesson to, to find that love is not easily angered or irritated or provoked. And the Greek word used here is to is to describe our emotions being deeply affected so so what paul is trying to what he's trying to tell the corinth church is that a loving person does not easily let his emotions get to him a loving person does not let his emotions stir him to an action that he's going to regret later it seems very easily tied, we said it earlier, it seems very easily tied into an earlier statement that love is, is patient. We read, we read this story in this lesson where Jesus tells his tired disciples here in, in Mark, chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus tells them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. He understands that the disciples were tired after what they had just done. And, and yet when they got to the other side of the lake, you might remember the crowd is already there. Right. And they're and they're allowing them no rest. And, and instead of just getting frustrated and irritated, Jesus had compassion on the crowd, even though his disciples, they show frustration and they show irritation. He goes on to say in verse 34, um, Mark does, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus, once again, is the perfect representation of love. And then in our next lesson, Paul says in verse 5, it keeps, love keeps no record of wrongs. And we found that the Greek word is a word that can be used to say to take into account or to reckon or to come to a bottom line. It's an accounting word, right, Pat? Paul is saying that love does not put a, a wrong on a mental ledger and then dwell on it to the point where it starts, starts to rot your heart. We focused on a story where Jesus is visiting with Simon the Pharisee. And a sinful woman washes his feet. He washes, she washes his feet with her tears and with her hair and pours perfume on his feet. And Jesus will go on to, to say to, uh, to Simon the Pharisee, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And we found that Jesus' point was not that those who have sinned a lot will be forgiven more than those excuse me, who have sinned less. Jesus' point was that some people grasp, some people can comprehend and get it how awful their sin is. And that Jesus has come to rescue them from it and, and they're amazed and they're overwhelmed and they love him deeply. And Christians who understand this 
will understand that the amount of sin is not the issue. It's what Jesus did on the cross to free us of this awful debt that is equal for all of us, regardless of the quantity of our sins. Love does not keep an account of a wrong suffered. How do I get the power to forgive other people and take their wrongs against me? That was shockingly... Sorry, I thought my brain was exploding. <laughs> it's like, and see if I can get back on track here. All right. Back on track, Tui. Thank you very much for that. It's house church. This is what happens. So love does not keep an account of a wrong suffered, we said. How, how do I get the power to, to forgive other people? and take their wrongs against me off of my ledger, off of my mental ledger. According to Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 7, we get the power to forgive other people when we realize how much we've been forgiven. Christians who understand their own forgiveness can say, I release you from that because Jesus has released me from that. And the key to loving other people in a way that doesn't keep a record of wrongs but forgives them is not to focus on the other person and how good or how bad they are. The power of forgiveness comes from focusing on Jesus. Our next lesson, we learned that love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. And we asked ourselves, what do we delight in? What do our actions show about what we really and truly desire. We focused on a lesson that week. Um, we focused our lesson that week um, on comparing our focus to Jesus to a compass and how we need to constantly recalibrate our spiritual compasses. Um, and I told this story of the, of the captain of the USS Nantucket in 1902 and how he had failed to properly recalibrate his compass and and his ship slammed into the USS uh, Monroe in a thick fog, killing a lot of people. And in the same way, if we fail to properly realign our compasses towards Jesus, we're always doomed for failure. Uh, in the le next lesson, we learned that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And in this lesson, we learned that Paul is not trying to tell us that we bear all things and that we believe all things hope all things and endure all things. He's trying once again to point us to Jesus and remind us that we cannot love perfectly, but Jesus can. Jesus can and has bore all things, believed all things, hoped all things, and he has endured all things. In our last lesson last week, we focused on three simple words, love never fails. And here again, we learned that our love will definitely fail on occasion, if not quite often. So once again, Paul, as he is in this whole chapter, is turning our focus on Jesus. Jesus' love never fails. We, we, we read the story about Peter's denial of Jesus three times, and that after Jesus is resurrected, uh, he comes back to Peter, and he's sitting by a fire beside a fire, much like Peter was around a fire when he denied Jesus the third time. And Jesus asked Peter three times if he loves him, and he's indicating his forgiveness of Peter, and that he is still going to use Peter regardless of Peter's betrayal. 
And, and then we also saw that Judas also betrayed Jesus. But, but what was the difference between Judas and Peter? Judas kept running away from Jesus because he felt he could never be forgiven of his sins. And sometimes we are guilty of feeling that way about our sins. We say, can you really forgive me, God, from, for the things that I've done? But Peter, when he realized it was Jesus on the shore, after Jesus had said, "Throw your, cast your nets to the right of the boat, Peter didn't wait for the boat to take him to his Savior. Peter jumped into the water, a football field's length away, and he swam to Jesus. He jumps into the water without thinking because he so badly wanted forgiveness from his Savior and his Messiah. And it's this same Peter I found interesting who tells us in 1 Peter 3 that the ark didn't save Noah and his family, right? It was the water that saved them, just as our baptism saves us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I have to wonder if when Peter wrote that about how baptism saves us, when, when he wrote that, was he thinking about the time that he jumped into the water and left the boat to swim to his salvation, who was cooking fish by a fire on the shore? So now we come to the end of this chapter. Boy, that was 11 lessons real quick, y'all. And we've rescued the chapter from the wedding ceremony. And we found depth in it. And I think uh, depth in it that few will ever find or think about sometimes. And and in my lesson on kindness, um, I read a a passage in Titus chapter 3. Um, so I want to read the end of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and then read the passage in Titus as we focus on this thought, as we, as we close with our thoughts on, on Jesus and, and his love, okay? So there are three things that abide in the end. They are faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And Paul is telling us that when the new creation of Jesus appears, when we are sitting at the feet of Jesus, sitting at the feet of our Lord for eternity to try and fathom his amazing love for us and what he did for us on the cross. We will no longer need faith and, and, and will no longer need hope because we will literally be there with Jesus. But love remains because God is love. So what do we place our faith and our hope in now? Uh, What do we love now? Is it the things of this earth or is it the things of the eternal? As we go through the rest of our lives, will we choose dust or will we choose heaven? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 8. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes... What is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 4, says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that 
having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. God bless you and have a wonderful week.